Hi, I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. My guest today is David Parker, Chair of the National Recovery Plan for the Plains Wanderer, one of Australia's most threatened species. There are only a thousand birds known left in the wild. work and the efforts of landholders in the New South Wales Riverina region, 10 Plains Wanderers were recently released. On this episode, David shares how the project's going and how it came to be. David Parker, I want to welcome you to Talking Australia and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Liz. Um, great to be here. Wonderful. So um, I'd like to take um, our listeners on a journey today um, out to the plant grasslands um, around the Riverina of New South Wales, where a very special little bird was released uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and you were instrumental in this release. Do you want to give our listeners a bit of an insight into what happened that day? Yeah, so um, following on the back of uh, some captive releases that occurred in Victoria uh, last year during 2021, uh, we released the first ever captive bred plains wanderers into the wild in New South Wales. Um, so there were 10 birds that were released. They were birds that were bred in a captive situation at Taronga Western Plains Zoo and also Taronga Zoo in Sydney. Uh, and we also had one interloper from Werribee Open Range Zoo that came and joined the party as well. Um, but essentially we released these birds into some really well-managed plains wanderer habitat. Uh, out on the New South Wales Riverine Plain um, and yeah now the job is to monitor them and watch them uh, take on their new surrounds and hopefully uh, successfully join up with other wild birds but um, it was a great day uh, we had quite a number of people there from uh, the Taronga um, Zoo Systems uh, also Department of Planning and Environment um, we also had Minister Griffin there, uh, the New South Wales Environment Minister. Uh, but most importantly for this program, we had the landholders, Bert and Liz Matthews, who uh, have been involved in Plains Wanderer conservation for, for many years now. And um, it's almost scary to think that it was just over 20 years ago that I met Bert and Liz um, out, out at their place. But um, they've been involved for quite a long time. And it was been an absolute pleasure to be able to release this first group of birds onto their place. I guess it would be really great for people to understand what's so special about this bird. I know that there's what I believe to be about a thousand birds left in the wild. Yeah, so the Plains Wanderer is a small ground nesting bird. It weighs around 40 to, to 95 grams. The the male is quite a lot lighter than the female and, and that sort of accounts for that uh, big range of, of weights. Uh, but it's a species that's the sole representative of its family. It's considered one of the most evolutionarily distinct species. Um, it has no other relative, you know, like a cockatoo or galah is related to a sulfur crested sort of thing. Plains wanderers are out there on their own. Um, like I said, it's a small ground dwelling grassland bird. It's an absolute fussy pants. Um, it likes sparse native grasslands that have about 50% bare ground and about 40% um, grasses, herbs and forbs. And within these areas, they, they are quite camouflaged. So the female is more brightly coloured than the male. Another quirk uh, for the birding world that, you know, here 
the uh, the female is the the more brightly coloured. But you know, she's distinguished from other things like quail and other birds that you might get out on the plains in these habitats by her nice rufous breast patch, her black and white spotted collar, but then this really bright um, yellow bill and and legs, and they stand quite upright. So when they're walking through the habitat at night, you can just see these things stand out. And the male is doesn't have those colorful patches on his neck or his breast he's a he's a fawn color all around so can be quite easily confused with a quail but again he has this really bright bill uh, and yellow legs and that sort of forms once they're sexually mature out in the wild so um yeah pretty pretty cool pretty distinct species um and again in a really weird quirk of the birding world um similar to well basically exactly like emus it's the male that does the incubating of the eggs um and then the the looking after those chicks to to independence once they do hatch um and the female she just goes off and if the seasons are great she'll go off and find another male and, and breed again um so yeah it's it's a really distinct really awesome species really and yeah over the years we've been monitoring in new south wales the population now for just over 20 years uh and there's some similar stuff that's being um monitored uh in victoria for the last 10 or so years and through that work we've found that you know as a result of drought uh and some of the um impacts of those things and also predation these birds have dropped to what we say or what we see is probably less than a thousand in the wild at the moment. Given that Goldilocks um, like things just right, how does the Paddocks to Plain Wanderers program tie in with that and the landowners making the property just right for them? Yeah, so for a long time now, it's been recognised that um, perfect Plains Wander habitat can be maintained using sheep um, and coincides with each other. So sheep and Plains Wanderers or even cattle and Plains Wanderers in the same paddock. It's just basically how the landholder manages their property um, as part of their just day-to-day -day activities and what their what their um, I suppose their ambitions are for the for for that property. Um, so most landholders do sympathetically manage their land, and so where they have plains wanderer habitat, they typically have plains wanderers. Um, the plains wanderer program bounces on that, so we wanted to work with the landholders to support them um, through some means to, to help them manage plains wander habitat. So what we did, Saving Our Species came uh, into existence in about 2015, and that enabled us to approach landholders with a potential package to bring them into a program to help them manage. What we did though, we didn't create a package ourselves. What we did first off was we approached the landholders that had um, plains wander habitat on their properties and we said we went to them and asked the question what do you need or what will you require to help you manage your plains wander habitat for the bird for the long term not just this year not just this month or this season but for the long term through a drought through a really wet period whatever it might be the landholders gave us a bunch of different um, options um, and activities that they saw it were important for them helping or essentially managing their paddock and it could have been something like you know fencing to soil type it could be planting areas of old man's salt bushes so they could use as a drought 
feed area. Could be things like uh, controlling rabbits or even foxes on their property or things like box thorn, which sort of devalue or lessen the value of, of the habitat and potentially provide harbour for a, a predator like a fox or a cat. So they came back to us and gave us a whole range of options. And then we built the package based on that, you know, what were feasible, what things could we fund? Um, and then once we had that, we went back to them and said, here's what you wanted. Um, we'd really like to have you guys on board through the paddocks for Pines Wonder program. Um, and we did that through a LAMP program, a, a, a local, um, local action management plan, which has been a bit of a program that we've been running in the Southwest of New South Wales for a while now. And so landholders, you know, we basically gave gave them the package that they wanted and we waited then for their response. And it was huge. Like it was straight away, as soon as the expressions of interest went out through the local land services, who were the crew that were managing and, and working with us to, to get these landholders on board, um, people just flooded in and, and straight away we saw that the expectation um that we're hoping we'd have was there that there were these landholders that wanted to jump on and there were uh, areas of habitat that were coming on board into the program. Saving our species um, enabled us to do that without having funding to support landholders. Yes, they would have continued to manage as they were doing previously, but it just gave us that better emphasis on the species with dedicated paddocks being signed up into the program that you know these landholders were promising to manage long term. And so was that just for the Plains Wanderer or are these different other other species as well in the Saving Our Species program? Yeah so within the Saving Our Species program it's a New South Wales program to essentially secure threatened species in the wild for 100 years to come. Mm -hmm. um, so they're there's many species that are involved in the program. Uh, there's management streams of varying types, whether it be an iconic management stream where things like the koala, southern crawberry frog, um, and plains wanderer sit, or a site managed or a landscape managed species. So, you know, different actions, different scales, but all of our, or a range of our species listed in New South Wales receive funding through the threat, the Saving Our Species program. Um, and so Plains Wanderers is just one that has been successful in receiving funding. There's mm -hmm. a number of other species that do receive funding, uh, but this one particular one, I suppose, is the one where I work the most on, um, engaging landholders and getting some really good um, outcomes for, for our threatened species. So you said that there was like a sort of a rush of hands up in the air for yes, we're interested, we want to be involved. So in terms of the, the Plains Wanderer, how many different properties are available for release and will there be releases into the future? Or this is a test pilot run to see how it goes? What's... Yeah, so being the, the first ever release into New South Wales mm. um, and, and just the third release ever full stop across the species range, the releases are part of a trial program to see how well birds do acclimatise themselves from being in the captive situation to being in the wild, um, but also what we need to do to help either monitor the species or prepare them for getting into that new wild world out there. Um, so this is a trial, you know, we expect that we'll have failures, but we'll also expect that we're going to have successes. In New South Wales, what we've done for this first release is release birds into managed habitat. 
um, but also into a landscape where there's a really concerted control program to eliminate foxes, mm -hmm. um, but also cats. So we've got these landholders, there's three landholders involved. Mm -hmm. um, and on their properties, there's an intensive baiting program that goes on and it's almost a continual program uh, of, of baits being put out there and, and foxes obviously being taken out of the wall, out of the wall through taking those baits. But there's also some follow-up ground shooting to get any of those bait shy foxes and to remove them from the landscape, but also to take out any cats that might be in the landscape too that may pose a, a risk um, when the, the space opens up from the removal of foxes. Mm -hmm. So this is one landscape. Within uh, the project area, we've got three landscapes on private property. Um, they, they are near Hay, south near Barubin, but then also one over at near Geraldry. And then there's also Ullumbeen National Park, which is quite a large um, reserve that has a, a quite a good area of pines under a habitat occurring on it. And that's a baited landscape as well. So there's four key areas that we are really keen to release birds into, but then there's also many other paddocks and there's over a hundred paddocks in the program currently. And so there's, many other paddocks that we could release birds into where some level of fox control is going on as well. But for these releases in particular, we wanted to give the birds the best chance possible of, of surviving and, and taking on and thriving in that area. Um, so we're, we've put them into these baited landscapes. Yeah, perfect. And they're fenced off, is that right? No, they're not no. fenced off per se. They're not, there's no predator-proof fence, mm -hmm. um, but the, there's an intensive program. So we're going as best possible in control as we can on these blocks in, in the absence of a fence. And obviously, you know, for, for many of our threatened species that are threatened by fox predation, uh, fences are, are a great option to help mm. secure those, those species. And what sort of home range do they have? What sort of kind of distance are they covering in a, in a day? Yeah, so plains wanderers have a home range. They do stick to an area that's about 10 hectares in size and it may have other grassland types that aren't suitable for them, but they'll have about 10 hectares of, of area that each bird will occupy as an individual. So the female is a bit territorial. She doesn't like to share her territory with other females because that's competition, mm -hmm. but she'll share her territory with males and two or three or maybe even four other males. And that way she can go to the first fella and say, hello, how are you? Let's get it on. Um, breed and, and produce a clutch of eggs with him. And if the seasons are fine, she'll then go and find another male that's in her, in her patch. And so having those overlapping ranges helps her to be able to boost the numbers in the wild when the seasons are really good. And tell me, so five pairs were released into the wild, so presumably male, female, male, female, and so on. Um, will there, and given the male sit on the, a clutch of eggs and the female wanders off to find another male, if each one of those pairs were successful, then that would obviously minimise that male roaming around or the female looking for another male because he's already occupied yes it, it may but the other thing too is that there may be other wild males uh -huh. in the area uh -huh. we've released the birds into a spot where the habitat is unoccupied so spotlighting and using thermal cameras has shown that there's no other birds in there so it's 
you know, again, another good chance for these birds to stay put so that we could more easily monitor them and how they go. But there is a chance that they will wander off. They'll live up to their namesake and go for a wander and find another wild bird even outside of that area mm -hmm. uh, where they might might find another mate. So, um, you know, one of the things that the trial is doing is releasing into pairs um, and something that we might investigate into the future is whether or not we release paired groups um, or, you know, where there's a one female release with two males or, you know, there's a range of things that we could potentially try. But the key part of these trials is the test how well they go back out into the wild from, from that captive situation. And how were we monitoring them? I, I noticed uh, looking at some footage of the release that it looked like they had a little transmitter on their, on their back. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Each of the birds has been uh, equipped with a VHF transmitter on their back, uh, held on in place by a harness. Um, and so over the coming weeks, we'll be monitoring birds daily um, to check on their location, to see how they're faring. Um, and that's, that's the first part of it. So seeing whether or not birds are, are moving about within that release site or whether they're moving further afield into the next paddock or even uh, paddocks quite distant. So, and then accompanied with that, we'll actually do some spotlight work with them so that we can go and find the birds at night when they're most easily seen. We can catch them weigh them see whether they're actually feeding well and maintaining a, a suitable amount of weight because that's something that we you know we hope is the case that the wild food out there will sustain the birds and, and keep them at the the weight that they need to be at um, but also to see how they're faring with the harness situation uh, but also to see whether or not there's any sort of communication any activity with wild birds out in the area as well so with those two things combined for the next essentially the 10 weeks um, post-release will monitor the birds and see how they're, how they're tracking. Mm -hmm. And so what, I guess, uh, might not have an answer to this question, but what would success look like? Success, uh, we've got a range of indicators for success and particularly for the program, it's um, the first indicator is 50% survivorship after four weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a range of cutoffs um, to measure that success to see how, how the birds are faring. Um, so each indicator, as we pass each point, we'll, we'll test that against what we've said that we hope to see. Uh, for, for the program, really, the success is whether we can really well monitor these species post-release, but also mm -hmm. whether they stay in that area and survive. And mm -hmm. if we get, you know, so we do expect some form of predation, particularly from birds of prey. We hope to have that um, predation from introduced predators out of the system. Um, but yeah, so the success rate is, you know, how long we can keep these birds, how long we can keep tracking them for uh, and, and what they may do afterwards. How do you prep a bird, a plains wanderer for release? So you've, it's been captive um, bred. What, what's the process to get it to release? Yeah, so within the zoo situation, um, these birds are kept uh, away from the public arena. So the birds mm -hmm. are, are off-site um, at Taronga and at Werribee and all that. So they're not seeing people every day. They're not having people pass the aviaries. They're in an area that's sort of away from the public eye. Um, and they're in dedicated facilities. So these birds um, and, and 
each individual bird, each pair has their own patch in their own aviary, so to speak. So the mm -hmm. facilities are purpose-built. They've been built only for plains wanderers. We want to manage a disease risk. Um, and we also want to make sure these guys know what they're going to go out into. So the zoo people um, have basically fitted out these aviaries with grasses, herbs, forbs that they would encounter that, out in the field, out in the in the native grasslands, so that there's no shrubs, there's no trees in the aviaries. It's purely their native grassland. Um, so that's the first point: having purpose-built aviaries that are fitted out to replicate the wild situation. Once they do breed, once we do have um, young available or birds available for release, the birds go through quite a rigorous health check to make sure that they're not carrying any diseases that we aren't expecting, to make sure they're actually of a suitable weight um, to go out into the, into the wild. You know, you don't want to release a stressed bird. Yeah. Uh, and so they go through this, this health check uh, at the zoo uh, before they pass uh the their i suppose pass that check so that then they're then available for the release um and then once they're they're checked they they get a band so we can recognize them out in the wild once they do drop the re, the transmitters so you know in two or three years time if there's a bird out there wearing a metal band that we encounter we we can go and check on that band and see whether it's one that's been released uh, but then they also at that point get fitted with the um with the transmitter and the harness so yeah i've got to, i've got to say i'm kind of fascinated how you you fit a, a harness on one of these little birds are they um are they awake when you're doing this or do they need to be not uh, again being a being the first time we've released them, we've actually put them out so knocked them out uh yeah. in the in the zoo situation in their um in their vet clinic areas so mm -hmm. that we can fit them without any stress or any harm mm -hmm. being done to the birds. So yeah. yeah, as, as minimal disturbance to the birds as possible. And you said that they drop off. Yeah. So the harness has been designed with a weak point that um, again, it's part of a being part of the trial. We're not sure how long that weak point will last for. It's hoped that the weak point will last for at least six to 12 weeks, which is the, the life of the battery of these VHF transmitters, yeah. but it might last a little bit longer. Um, so over time, they will naturally fall off, but the aim will be if they're still carrying a, a transmitter and a harness after 10 weeks, we will go out, catch the bird and clip it off so that the bird's not, not, carrying around that extra weight um, unnecessarily when the battery of the, the transmitter is dead. So I guess uh, I'm, I'm obviously this is all incredibly fascinating and um, I'm thrilled that this program is underway. With the owners of the of the paddocks of the property, the grassland, do they have an active role once the birds are released or is it their role more to get the land prepared and ready for the birds when they before they arrive? Oh, they, they've always got an active role particularly in managing the habitat mm -hmm. in that paddock so you know whether it's the the paddocks of the release side or even paddocks that are just in as part of the program you know our hope is that all of the the landholders that have signed up to date they'll continue to be involved in the program even beyond the life of, of funding um, that's that's currently available in terms of um the landholders where we've released birds, there's this continued interest in what the birds are up to. Someone messaging the landholders um, 
daily about how their birds are going. Um, so three pairs were released onto Bert and Liz's place. Mm -hmm. There were two pairs that were released onto a neighbouring property um, owned by Stephen and Carol Huggins. You know, so they're interested. They want to know how their birds are going. I'm not sure whether it's a neighbourly competition that's going on, but, you know, they're... <laughs> They're really keen to to see what's happening with their birds, um, and so it's there's quite that interest. And you know, I I couldn't dream of releasing a bunch of birds onto a, a person's place without letting them know how their their birds are faring. So uh, we did have one bird that was released onto Stephen Carroll's place that took a bit of a wander living up to its namesake, and we um, we lost it after a couple of days. But then this bird, after about five days, has suddenly returned. So I don't know where he went or what he was thinking, but, you know, Steve was, oh, do I need to, what, what are we doing? Do I need send to do a, this? Send you know, out a search party. What, what could we look with him for? And, and so it was just like, oh, we'll, we'll keep looking in other paddocks, neighbouring and all that. We'll see where he's gone to. But then all of a sudden he's lobbed back into that same padding. It's just like, yeah, okay. He went for a wander. <laughs> so, <laughs> True so to his name. <laughs> that's, that's it. And so there is this huge interest in what's going on. Like there's interest, obviously, not just from Bert and Liz and Steve and Carol, but by the landholders that are involved in the program to see how these releases go on. Because as we've said to them before, particularly those landholders where we've collected birds from for the captive program, hey, we're collecting these. We're going to pinch them out of your paddocks. But the aim is that we're going to return them back in too. So there is that big interest in um, in what's going on. Yeah, no, it's it's really wonderful. I kind of almost feel like there needs to be some sort of planes wanderer cam that they can, you know, check in on every day when they're sitting in their kitchen or something. Oh, if only it was that easy, I could do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Is there anything else you wanted to, to make mention of or you feel that people should know? Oh, look, I... I Again, it's just a huge shout out to the landholders who are involved in the program. When the Saving Our Species program started and we set the conservation program up for this species, we were hoping to sort of sign up landholders so that we could have under management 10,000 hectares uh, of, of habitat. And we've surpassed that. We've got 13,000 uh, 13, hectares of plainswater habitat under management agreement with these landholders. And so that's just been a massive effort. Um, and I, I couldn't emphasize enough how, how awesome that is, how important it is for the species conservation, um, but also just that, that great sign of uh, the community involvement um, in, in the species, but also I suppose in just general threatened species management. You know, threatened species aren't just managed on a national park uh, or in some sort of conservation reserve. It's our private landholders, particularly in the west of New South Wales and even in those other parts across Australia, our private landholders who do play a massive role in maintaining our threatened species and where we can involve them, where we can support them in, in managing our species. It's, um, it's just a, an absolute boost. Well, it sounds to me like the relationship between saving our species and the private landholders is just right and hopefully it'll be just right for Goldilocks as well. Indeed, definitely. Mm. Thank you so much for your time, David. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Liz. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, 
you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.